You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, a celebration of people as something more than consumers or producers. We're more than the sum of our inputs and outputs. We're on a purposeful quest together for meaning, connection, and community. It's never too late to find the others. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, our friend and ally from down under, indigenous scholar from the Appalachian clan, Tyson Yonkaporta. You've got to have integrity from the micro to the macro. Like for me, all my activism is focusing on leaving tools for the people who are coming after. Tyson will be helping us reckon with the end of civilization. It's not as bad as all that. It's time to intervene on behalf of people and other living things. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. The first time I ever spoke with today's guest, Tyson Yunkaporta, was when I interviewed him about his book, Sand Talk, for Team Human last year. And I felt an instant kinship with Tyson. He's got a a non-judgmental way of experiencing the world and people that I really admire and hope to emulate. I had something of an agenda when we spoke. This was less for a Team Human episode than to work out some ideas for my next book about feedback and iteration and whether the tech bro pedal to the metal linear approach to progress may just have generated the circularity it's been trying to repress all along. But it felt right to share this with all of you as the boundary between Team Human and everything else I do continues to dissolve. I had so many, maybe you did too, but I'll admit, I had many thoughts since we spoke last. And it was almost as if that whole time was a good clearing of the throat in a way for us to just meet. And when it was over, I felt like, okay, now we can have... (laughs) <laughs> now we can have a conversation. Yeah. And people loved it. I explored a lot of things after I talked to you. It sent me down a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah, and I've kind of like, um, I don't know, tested stuff out. You know, I've gone through a lot of thoughts talking to other people and on lots of podcasts and things like that. What was that show, Netflix, The Social Dilemma? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I did pretty much like they did and dole about half your stuff. And um, <laughs> well, you're not stealing, <laughs> you know, you know, as like provocations to start conversations, you know, talking very much about uh, uh, like your angle from your people's point of view of um, how how writing affected uh, time and timeline and all that kind of thing. I've used that as a jumping off point for a lot of little experiments. It's 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 been cool. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, it was funny after we had that talk and you were I told you about that. We were talking about the find the others you know, and how I got it from Leary and then kind of changed it, you know, to mean the other others. And then you were suggesting that I think about others in terms of, you know, non-human others. Yeah. It's funny, you know, how I, I think I told you about how, you know, shortly before Tim died, he tagged me and said, all right, you're it. And uh, I kind of want to tag you the same way after we're talking. Tag you, okay, <laughs> you're it. You know, to take the take the torch, you know, take this the the baton of this generational relay race and take the next, you know, the next few rounds until you find, you know, someone else who's building on these ideas further. You know, and I feel like you're taking them kind of further further than I can, which is encouraging, not not scary. It's um almost it's calming in a way. It's like, oh, not that I'm gonna go retire, you know, and just go to the 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 go out to pasture now, but 
and oh good you're continuing and extending things beyond where i can where i can take them myself <laughs> now, i'll tell you i mean i'm you know and I, I was inspired by a lot of your stuff and particularly you know the story that you told about the that you were taking these i guess these kids out on a on a school trip of some kind and you gave them this assignment and one of the boys was um you know, looking out at the ocean, and and he basically he hadn't done whatever the assignment was. You're supposed to draw or come up with something, and he told you about how you know that we take the sand from the ocean and try to build these buildings, but eventually the buildings will get sucked back in. And it was such a great metaphor for me for civilization. And I started to think about that progress itself, which is partly the fault of my well-meaning people, you know, the Jews back in the Axial Age, what we're just talking about when we got text and we got linear time and we wanted to, okay, now that we have linear time, we have a history and a future, let's make the future better than the past. And in some well-meaning ways, they ended up kind of fetishizing progress and change and the future and directionality. And they ended up replacing the, the circularity of indigenous peoples and uh, migratory cultures with the linearity of Western civilization and progress and all. And they got to the very end, you know, they got to the West Coast and then realized, oh my God, we're out of room, we're out of everything. Where it brought me though is then, what does one do. I, I know I don't want to, uh, and I've, I've for years, I've always, you know, pushed against whenever someone says, oh, all we have to do is get people to think this way or get people to do this or get people. Once you're getting people to do stuff, I know you're stuck in, you're in propaganda and it's over. But I'm kind of wondering, do we get rid of this? Do we just purge ourselves of this idea of linear time and progress and all and go and uh, retrieve the circularity of indigenous and migratory people? Or do we somehow combine them together into some spiral that's both circular and linear? Or is all of that striving somehow? And do we try to stop striving? So that's sort of where I'm at. I'm yeah. trying to figure out whether to just uh, let Western civilization kind of end itself? Was this all just for naught? Or is there some part of this that gets integrated with the sensibilities that you're now bringing to the table? Well, I guess there's that uh, integral theory that's getting around. Yeah. You probably keep coming across that. I do. Yeah, and Ken Wilbur and all. Yeah, yeah. especially in this space. it's um, And I, the industries that have, have sort of sprung out of this vague undefined unnamed space that we're operating in they're producing a lot of different sort of tech that's not tech you know a lot of social tech and and governance tech and things like that that's that's more sort of theories etc so like integral theory that is on a spiral as you say this sort of they're talking about it in terms of development but trying to show that you know you don't lose anything from the previous stage and that your previous stage is not inferior and it's not like a thing that you're supposed to progress through uh, but it's something that's unified uh, that's what they're trying to say but people are still approaching it through the coaching industries and the you know the the corporate consulting and all these kinds of industries they're kind of approaching it in a linear way anyway yeah the sort of self-improvement and they're progressing through yeah yeah each level's got a different color it's like karate belts and <laughs> you know I what know. i mean um yeah. So they've, they've kind of leveled the um, thing that we're supposed to get rid of levels uh, was my understanding from how 
Ken Wilber talks about it. But I think that's just going to keep happening for a bit. And look, I don't know. I, I did object to you, like claiming that that your people had invented this thing too, because that'd be the same as you know uh, me blaming my people. I mean, because you know more than half of us, uh, actually majority of us, have had to move into um, you know uh, urban or or town kind of landscapes now just to survive. Like as the land has um has increasingly become unavailable or has become damaged to the point that it can't sustain life anymore. Most of us are in these cities now and we are reading and we're writing and all that kind of stuff. And it'd be a bit like me trying to claim that I invented writing. <gasps> you know, there, there were, there were civilizations for a long time. Like your people were a pastoral people and they, um, and, and the land changed. The land changed because you had all these massive civilizations disrupting things so badly that, desertification was like spreading right across and and there was heaps of climate change going on yeah. as a result of that and um you know your herds didn't have enough to eat and so you know you started starving so you had to come in so you come in and say yeah I'll, I'll i'll help out yeah I'll, I'll help you out with your pyramids for a minute and it's like oh stop hitting me exactly <laughs> and then all of a sudden yeah. you're stuck 400 years later and that's yeah. pretty much where we are yeah so i mean we've only had 200 years of it there you you got like 2000 or something. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, and, and, you know, the, the writing was happening before that. Those timelines were sorted out. It was kind of a curse, unraveling things. And, um, yeah, uh, like I, I think I said last time that if you can find a Sumerian to blame, then then, then knock yourself out. But um, I think it happened a good, a good while before that. Yeah. But I guess my problem now, and, and, it, without picking on anyone in particular, it's, you know, I look at the Western civilization and the way people are trying to solve problems, you know, so we got all our TED Talks, you know, here's these great yeah. thinkers who are basically, each one is gaslighting us <laughs> in one way or the other with their, their big yeah. picture of the way the world is, you know, and removing us from, in some ways, from our felt uh, material or, or sensorial reality with their bizarre artificial picture of, you know, their great plan. And that's why those are so attractive to these, you know, crazy bankers behind like the Great Reset, where they're gonna, you know, tag mm. every living thing and put it on the blockchain and save the environment somehow. <laughs> with mm. with genetic engineering or something and that's why it's not that i'm i'm over i'm just so tired of all the new ideas and all the new things oh have you read this oh have you seen that and it's like i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> well i'm there too you can't like go and pass that ball to me and take off i don't i don't want it either <laughs> it's just um it, but it's this novelty and i don't know this it's it's the funny thing with this economic system is it's all about confidence like you know confident if, if you have the impression that other people are interested in something then somehow you you get have confidence in that thing that it has value you know and that you've got to get in there good and quick before it becomes ubiquitous and loses its value you know so people are just running around and chasing just the the edges of a dream really you know and they're sort of um nipping at one thing and then nipping across to the next thing and I try to honor all the things that people send to me to read, uh, but but it's a stack that reaches the ceiling now. I'm never going to get through all this stuff. I'll, I'll get around, I'm sure, to reading Nora Bateson properly one day. But, it, you know, in the end, it's all saying the same thing. I, I don't know. You just kind of know it anyway. 
Right. The reason for reading about all this stuff is to give you more factoids about it so you can chuck it around and, um, you know, increase your own sort of capital in the world, social capital, intellectual capital, etc. So it's kind of playing the game anyway. Yeah, and I find when I'm reading, you know, I, I end up usually just taking the stuff I already kind of know out of it anyway. You know, you read and read and read and it's like, oh, mm. this resin, this is another way of saying that thing that I've already been thinking. Like, oh, this is yeah. the way mushrooms are have a network like the psychic network I was thinking about or like the internet I was thinking yeah. about. Uh, I think let's invent a term for this. Let's call it um, complexity fatigue. It is in a way. <laughs> it is it is complexity fatigue. And a lot of it's great. And even if it's, you know, expressed by egotistical white guys in England or America or somewhere, some of it's still great. You know, God bless them. They thought up cool things or they copied cool things or they wrote old things in new ways. And that's great. But then a majority of what I'm getting emailed now, and even by people you know, by people I respect, by friends, are, you know, YouTubes of what to me feel like weird conspiracy theories. You know, the, the mm. nano dust or the vaccines being laced with poison or, you know, chemtrails and geoengineering and the secret cabals of the billionaires. I don't even want to sit and watch those videos. I want to acknowledge that these people that they're thinking and that they're concerned and they may or may not be onto something, but the activity itself of trying to connect the dots by watching YouTubes about people in places that you can never even interact with, it feels like a distraction from, from, from the matter at hand. There's nothing wrong with conspiracy theories as long as it's, you know, it's a, a theory or if it's just a, even not even that, just a hypothesis, maybe this is happening you know, because a person is still thinking. It's when people descend into certainty or, um, or you know, disingenuous certainty, like absolutely this is what's going on. That's when it becomes a problem. You, you, you really do need to remain open to things. And it's hard because you don't want to just dismiss people either. Right. African-Americans right now who are uh, vaccine skeptical, you know, are they conspiracy theorists or are they like, no, We've been through this before. You know, we've been tested before. We've been unwilling, unwitting lab rats for you before, you know, and we know that you, you know, you give different medications to different parts of the population and that often you failed batches that you don't want to lose money on, you sell them to the people that you don't care about. And we know you test things. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when we look at it, well, there's there hasn't been any post-market surveillance for these vaccines, you know, as there is with every other medication. And it's like, well, we, we need to see that data. We need, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're seeing, you know, African-Americans doing that. And I noticed that uh, <laughs> in the current political climate, a lot of people aren't prepared to say, oh, sorry, but you're an anti-vax bloody maniac. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's this kind of silence around a lot of the, the, almost anti-vax sort of sentiments and um, and theories that are that are going around the black community in the United States. Yeah, no, it's really hard. I was I was writing a piece 
um, last year about vaccines. It was before, it must have been more than a year ago, it was before COVID even happened. I was trying to write about vaccines and how by repressing all conversation about the downside of vaccines or the h historical abuse around these things, we mm. end up stoking more fear and paranoia. Yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't let me publish those parts of the piece where I listed the examples of you know, negative vaccines. Oh, no, no, no. You're just going to give fuel to the anti-vaxxers. I'm like, no, you're giving fuel to the anti-vaxxers yeah. by uh, uh, censoring and repressing the conversation. Yeah. They make massive leaps. So people who, I don't know, like, like I don't like either, end, both ends of the, the spectrum are ridiculous. So people who are just pro-vax, absolutely no question, you know, they're insane. And people who are like anti-vax, no question, this is damaging, it's going to kill us all. They're insane. Like you need to be, <laughs> you need to be a little bit more nuanced than that. I think, I don't know, but but maybe just people aren't mature enough to be able to handle actual information. For me, it's it's still just it's still just questions as with everything else that you ask as a person and you you try and you know weigh up as much as you can and then you you talk with community and you try and figure all that out. It is very difficult. It scares me when I I, I remember the first time that my ears pricked up about vaccines was you know, when I was a doctor was jabbing me and uh, with something and, and I was asking about, you know, side effects, all that sort of thing. I said, no, it's, 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 it's safe and effective. It's a hundred percent safe and effective. Like he kept saying to me over and over again, you know, and then I was like, oh, that, that's, that's good that it's a hundred percent safe and effective. And, and then he goes, um, oh, just don't go near any pregnant women for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, whoa, what, what will happen to them? No, nothing, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. It's 100% safe and effective. Just don't go, just dear God, don't go near any <laughs> pregnant women for two weeks. Um, and I'm like, well, so what should I isolate for a couple of weeks? Like, because I might go to the shop. I don't know if she's pregnant or not. I'm walking past her in the aisle. No, 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 it's fine. It's 100% safe and effective. Just, yeah, just two weeks, no pregnant women. And I'm, what will happen to them? Nothing, nothing. It's safe and effective. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to have to read a bit about this. And, you know, so I said, oh, can you just send me the papers, direct me to the research with the control studies, you know, the, the stu studies with the control group and all that sort of stuff. And there aren't any, apparently. They don't have any randomized controlled studies. I, I think there's one, but but the control group is getting a, um, is just getting another vaccine. That's all they've tested it against. So they haven't done any studies against people getting a placebo or people, and, you know, and rightly so, I guess that they, they say, well, that, that would be... Um, that would be really unethical to not give one group, you know, a, a vaccine because vaccines are amazing. So, you know, you find this sort of thing, you've got this action reaction, you know, with, with both sort of sides, just sort of, you know, closing ranks and just having to talk bullshit and go round and round in their own circular arguments forever. And, but that doesn't help me because I want to find out about this thing. And part of it though, is that it, and I feel okay with it. I don't feel qualified to really make an informed judgment about these things. At some point, I've got to, you know, I've got to let someone else make that, some other trusted person in my, in my life make that decision for me. You know, and I feel like part of what's, what's going on now with everybody watching all of these YouTubes about each different thing going on that may or may not be true it's kind of putting the burden of almost scientific investigation 
for everything on everyone. And you know that's not really the way the world works, and it, not not one as complex as ours. And everyone's expected to have certainty on every issue, right? And to have a position that they then defend like it's a hill in a war or something. Who the hell can have hundred percent certainty? It's just insane. But like you say, you have to um, you have to have a proxy. Yeah. You know, on on every issue, you have to have people that you defer to. It's like, well, this is the person who has the story for this. This is the person who understands this. I don't know if you can get a few people like that who are all with kind of different positions. Uh, then you can look at it and say, okay, what's the same between these people's opinions? What's different? Where do they differ and how, are they, how have they arrived at that? You know, which process do I trust the most out of, out of those? So where do I lean towards? But then also thinking about, well, what's the aggregate of all these stories now? And what, what picture does that give me? Right. You know, it gives me a cloud of uncertainty but you try to figure out where, where's the probability of the truth appearing in that sort of quantum cloud of information at, at any right. at any given given moment. And you need to be fluid with that and, and, and move with it because things change. Things change. Your grasslands dry up and, and, and you've got to take your herds into Egypt and help out with the pyramids for a bit every now and then. I mean, I, I do like the idea of having, you know, different proxies to help with different things. And even to have our own areas of expertise. So someone will come to me about, oh, well, you know, what about my kids and social media or, you know, something that I'm supposedly, you know, expert in. I, then I can have my opinion about that and not have to have an opinion about whether, you know, the, the Philadelphia election machines got hacked by a Chinese, you know, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know. It's uh, this guy got elected. Yeah. We're done. You know, there's a certain yeah. point at which it's just not my, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not a, a global uh, CSI agent deconstructing every, uh, you mm. know, every, every event that's happened. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah. What it gets me to though, is, you know, for the last, uh, maybe since, you know, 2009 or 10, I've been on something of a, of a lefty activist bent. I guess it was really, you know, Occupy Wall Street and all, and we're going to make the change and yeah. be the change and all that. And it, I, you know, started teaching at a city university because I want to be with, you know, working class kids and teach them, you know, Marxism and media deconstruction. And we're going to get the world better and be activists. And, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, how do you, how do you engage with kind of activism and social change? There's, you know, such a, a, a wide spectrum from these guys at Davos now who want to do the Great Reset and think they've got the plan mm. for everything, you know, to to my friends like, you know, Grant Morrison, who's writing comic books and say, oh, just stay away from all of that, you know, <laughs> just be an artist and have fun. Yeah. Where, where do you kind of see yourself in terms of, I mean, we know the world has terrific problems and and climate change and civilization and economics and uh, repression of different people and you know all the kinds of stuff that that we've both written about i mean what do you see as your role hmm. in affecting change if any a lot of people think occupy was um ineffective but i, I thought it was the most generative movement that's ever happened so hmm. far you know, and it was because of the distributed governance model that that um, that they were trying out. It didn't meet any objectives or aims or you know KPIs or anything like that. So it was regarded as a failure. It didn't have great branding because not much time was spent on that. 
you know, it was very collective and it hasn't stopped. Right. You know, like I, I'm, I'm every other week I'm meeting another person who's, who's invented a new thing or has started up an, an, another thing who's coming out of that movement and applying that, um, th- those governance models and, the, you know, and the ways of, of talking and doing discourse that sort of came out of that. I, like, I don't think Occupy ever ended. Right. And look, for me, I think it's the best message I've seen is your take on, on Leary's idea with the others and identifying who the others were. You know, they're not the people who are like you. They're they're the people who are unlike you. And that's pretty much just how I do everything. You know, so my activism is about making relations. And it's about making relations with people who are different from me. So, for example, I'm a Luddite, but um, all my new friendships are with tech people and transhumanists. Mm. You know, and to me, that's, that's a viewpoint that's further from mine than I could ever imagine. Um, but these are the people that I need to talk to. These are the people that I need to be close friends with. We had, like, I don't know, last year, we, a couple of years ago, we had a, a family living next door, and and they were they were nice, but they were quite racist, I, I guess. And and they came out, and one day, like the 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 dude looked at our daughter, and she was in a little dress, you know, and she doesn't wear dresses much. And he said, "Ah, oh, look, you know, she's always just been this little indigenous ragamuffin." But today she looks like a real girl. Um, she said that. And, and he said that. And it was just, I, I, I know you're laughing. And that's and that was our response too. I guess we could have, you know, I could have tweeted about him and had him fired and all yeah. that sort of thing. But, you know, instead we, we just said about, you know, becoming best friends with our family. He's in a very different position in his head today. And, you know, and we're really close friends with him. We still, you know, we don't live anywhere near there anymore, but we're still in communication all the time. We go around visit, you know, we're exchanging gifts, all mm. these sorts of things still today. And, and that's that's got to be the way that you go. Like, it's got to be the way that you go. But that's right on the ground. That's person to person, hand to hand, right? That's not uh, running for office or marching in the street. But that's got to be that's got to be how you live, and out of that comes your your bigger, mm. you know, stuff. You, you gotta you gotta have integrity from the micro to the macro. Like for me, all my activism is focusing on leaving tools for the people who are coming after for the thousand year cleanup. Uh, so what tools are they going to need? And and um, for me, the only things that I can think of that will last and always be relevant, no matter how much change happens, is good story and uh, good cognition. So I, I want to leave them cognitive tools and I want to leave them narrative tools uh, in order to navigate the time of transition, massive time of transition that, that's coming. So that's that's just what I do. I'm not interested in struggling uh, to try and make, you know, uh, like I keep using the metaphor of you can't make a dog a vegan and, you know, this economic system is a dog and, you know, he's not going to be a vegan he'll either die or he'll eat you if you do that and i i just um i just don't think that it's worth my time wasting my time on um making some tweaks to try and make it a, a dying system feel a bit more fair while it's in its palliative care stage it's like well i'd love for somebody to just switch off the machine and let it die uh, but it, that probably won't happen for another decade or two at least but in its dying phases, I'm not interested in trying to make it feel more fair hmm. while it goes over the cliff. It's just like, no, no, well, I need to be looking to the next part. I need to be looking ahead. Uh, so, you know, any work I do is is, is in that, that part of the time frame rather than this one. 
and just to be clear for our our listeners, uh, uh, particularly the, the the tech ones, I mean, when you're talking about the next thing, you're not talking about a blockchain. No. <laughs> well, for me, yeah. That, I mean, that I just I just keep saying I, I, I don't know why people are still talking about it. it's. I keep saying it's they're called rare earth metals for a reason. And you know, when you're refining these rare earth metals, produces radioactive waste. There's only so much radioactive waste you can store, and we still haven't figured out how to store it for longer than a, a few centuries. And and it takes it'll be at least a thousand years um, for it to you know get past the half life and all that sort of thing. And we don't know how to store it without it leaking. So I mean, we've got a few things to look at, and and just the idea that there's you know, just this, oh, the future, you know, yeah, by 2200, we're going to be in flying robot cars. We will be flying robot cars. It's like, nah, nah, that's not going to happen. Like, sorry, it's, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So what I'm trying to do, like, I mean, I hate this tech, but I'm engaging with it because, you know, that's what I do. I go to the others, you know, so I'm engaging with it and, and I'm looking at the cybernetic side of things and just trying to like just tweak people's stories a little bit, so that a lot of the assumption stories, you know, of, of bad narratives about the past that they're taking as baseline data that's absolutely true. I try like mess with that a little bit, and I also um, I just try and show that there are other ways to get to these affordances that you're after. You know, there are other ways to do that, and they're they're pre-existing. But maybe we'll talk about later some of the things I've been, you know, uh, thinking about how to resolve the energy side of things and and i'm trying i'm stuck in the middle of a do i or don't i of sort of showing how spirit works and and the physics of spirit you know as an energetic system um that that you can find all these affordances in and i'm trying to figure out if if that would be i mean i'm I'm getting i'm getting a lot of uh feedback from people saying no don't do that that will kill everything <laughs> and feedback from other people saying yeah you need to do that that'll save everything and i'm like ah, oh, i don't know so i'm just kind of sitting stuck i think you said at the start i'm stuck right well now. i'm in a similar in a similar thing almost thinking about it you know uh, behaviorally so yeah. as you were speaking before part of what you were suggesting is that i mean the problem with with so many of our, you know, seeming energy solutions like Elon Musk's cars or solar panels or all those things is you're really just kind of uh, going down the table of elements, finding a new rare earth metal to stick in your solar panel or in your rechargeable, renewable energy car. And those things require people or children to go dig in the ground and take something out and create waste that all they're really doing is externalizing the damage to a different place. Place. So no, we're not taking yeah. oil and throwing it in the air as you drive. Instead, there's an electric grid somewhere else that's driving this thing. Or there's a rare earth lithium in your in your car that you're not seeing how it got to your car and you're not seeing where it goes after. It's no, it doesn't have value in your car. Yeah. But it's all still there. And we, we, we don't really, I mean, gosh, it's it's sacrilegious in America to say this right now, but to even suggest that mm. solar panels because it sounds like Donald Trump or something, I guess, but that solar panels are not really a solution. They're a stopgap at best. No, people don't want to hear that. But then I start Mm. thinking that, well, and this is what, I don't mean retirement, but part of me thinks that human beings have to learn to live at scale. 
And that's both emotionally, mm. we have to be satisfied. If a room of people are nodding at what we're saying, that's got to feel as good as if you have 50,000 people li listening to your podcast or a million people buying your record album. Because we have to start living at scale and locally and, and finding satisfaction in the eye contact from our friends and the touches from our loved ones as opposed to the million likes on Facebook and all of these energy extractive, soul extractive systems. But it almost mm. begs the question of then whether one, does one then finally, isn't it appropriate for me to say, well, I've made so all these books and all these podcasts and done all these things, it's time in a way I should step off the stage and start practicing what I preach, teach my students in my classes, and I'll get interviewed occasionally if someone wants, but stop. I mean, I, I feel like I'm the, in some ways, the example of the thing that I'm railing against. Well, look, and here's the thing. That's the problem with uh, energy theft. And, and basically, this is a system of energy theft. So, you know, in, in the universe, you, you have um, energies exchanged between systems and across systems all the time, but in closed loops, in closed loops. So what comes out, it, it goes back in in another form, right. you know, that that system needs. And it's, it's beautiful and dynamical. But energy theft happens when you, when you make those into open loops. You know, so you've got it coming in, but it's not going back. Right. And so we have this with energy we're stealing across. So, you know, we basically unspiraled time. We've turned it into a line yep. and then stealing from the past, uh, stealing from past energy on that line, you know, with the, the lives and spirit of those things that died and been sitting under the ground good and safe for, for a few million years. <laughs> you know, so that, that, that's that idea of that energy theft. Yeah. It's an open loop because you can't send it back. You know, so I've been trying to think of ways to show people that and, and also trying to find solutions from that way. I look particularly at the exchange. There's an exchange, and I guess we'll get into the spirit side of things and the um, the, the, the trips that people are, are, are doing, you know, in the tech world, yeah. you know, DMT and all that kind of thing. But there is there is an exchange constantly of um, substance, of, of, of spirit across from the spirit world and, and to this world. That's happening all the time. And going back again, you know, it is a closed loop. There is a cycling of energy and a communication that happens between what we call earth camp and sky camp. Uh, but lots of other people have different ideas of how they how they describe that. And, you know, I guess in physics, you'd look at, I don't know, M theory, and it's just going between different uh, membranes or whatever. It just keeps going. It's supposed to cycle around and back through. And I can see, you know, ways of doing things and ways of showing that, you know, uh, and showing the way things are sentient and how spirit comes into things and, and moves things and that pattern. Um, and I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to figure out how, how I could do it with bug shells you know, to show that property. So there's bugs like bees that, you know, they still can't figure out how the hell they fly. Uh, so I was trying to figure that out, but it's too small. Near that Heisenberg thing, like the smaller things get, the more uncertainty there is. So I scale them up a bit. I was looking at um, uh, willy willies, we call them here. Hmm. And they're like uh, little whirlwinds, like tiny tornadoes. And they go across country. You know, and we see that as being, it's being filled, it's filled with a spirit that's popped up temporarily and it's coming across and it disorders things. And so there's a specific part of that whirlwind that you've got to throw a stick into and you throw it in and if you can knock that out, then the whirlwind stops. I, I did learn how to do that so I can stop those willy-willies, huh. you know, when they're coming across, if they're going to be coming through camp and, um, and messing things up, you know. 
because it's got that no good spirit in there that sort of disorders things. But anyway, the part that you hit with it is the part that attracts the whirlwind to warmer air. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but it sounds like magic. It's the part of the system that um, is attracted to warmer air, so it, it pulls it towards it. So in a way, it's sensing the warm air. So that's the sensor of that system. And so that system, I mean, you, so you could prove it under that. That's measurable, and you could, so you can prove, oh, well, this is sensing things and then making decisions and moving itself in order to extend its lifespan, this thing. It's a living thing. It is a, a thing of spirit. And so I was looking at, well, how could you uh, keep that loop going? Yeah. Uh, have that thing going around indefinitely and keep spawning and respawning these little mini tornadoes in order to move things, you know, to produce energy. And then then I just thought, well, that that's, um, I mean, the things that would be happening in spirit, there would be so no good that it would be an aberration. So I moved away from that. Then I started thinking about that, um, you know, one of the most efficient motion machines on the planet is um is the belly scales of a snake you know so you know how those belly scales ripple and that's what moves them right uh it doesn't use very much energy at all to do that and so i was thinking oh well you could probably tinker like a a synthetic one of those just those belly scales and just have it with a tiny charge that's um triggering that rippling motion you could wrap that one around a wheel or a barrel or something and have and start it spinning and then the static between it and the barrel, you know, could feed back into it. But then uh, a small part of the energy that's produced by the barrel spinning, that could go back into it as well. And then you've got surplus energy. But then you have to ask yourself, where am I stealing that free energy from? Right. If that, if that works, where am I stealing that energy from? Because, and this is the problem, you know, everybody's been going for that holy grail of perpetual motion machine, all that kind of thing. But it's basically you're trying to steal energy from a system. So from my mind, that that you would be stealing um, energy from a a serpent dreaming, that you'll be stealing energy from that system and bringing it into this one. But if you didn't have a way of closing that loop again and sending something else back, energy in another form that that serpent system needed, you, you would be undoing creation. Uh, in, in the act of doing that, you right. know, so I, 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 I keep trying to struggle with these. Every time I think of a way that I could, I could run this experiment, I could set this up in my lab, I could make that happen and then show that there is energy that can be moved around from different places and that's measurable and you could, you know, do it like that. But I don't know. I find when people, when people take things from other traditions that have uh, spirit tech in it, they refuse to acknowledge the uh, the spirit side. So, you know, you've got um, mainstream Western practitioners using acupuncture now, but refusing to acknowledge the um, energetic system right. because that's spirit side and, and um, you know, that's not measurable and that's not proved. But we can prove that if you stick, you know, a pin in that point, that does have a beneficial effect. So, yeah, we'll use it but we're not going to acknowledge the spirit side of things. Well, it's not even just the spirit side yeah. of things. It's almost, you know, simpler when you look at it, you know, almost through the, the, the lens of capitalism and Western progress and, you know, and Wetico and yeah. colonialism that, you know, it's what I've been talking about uh, on an economic level that bounded economies allow the money to circulate and you end up, you know, circulating the same money through a community and they get wealthy. You know, they, they can double yeah. dip. But when you extract money from the community, like, you know, like the Walmart or the Monsanto that's taking the money out, you wonder, well, it's the same activity, but now the people are getting poor. And why is that? Or when yeah. you talk about energy theft, yeah. that, you know, what the progression of science in energy has been about figuring out how to 
basically burn longer time spans in the, <laughs> in the same moment. Yeah. Well, it's basically, it's opening a lot of closed loops. Right. So we take a 200-year cycle and burn that. Oh, now we get coal. Oh, now that's a couple, you know, a couple of thousand years. And then yeah. we'll get, you know, dinosaurs, 10,000 years. Or get, you know, uh, 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 uranium is, you know, you know however many million years. And let's burn that. That's you know, it. And, and again, I don't think the problem is that it has to be, you know, a, completely a perpetual motion machine, but that it's not even, the contract is not even entered into with the spirit of circularity. It's just the mm. spirit of, oh, that, I want it, burn it, good. Now I've made, you know, it, it's the illusion that they can go in one direction. Or as I've been saying to people, you know, the idea that you can, you know, make a car that goes fast enough to escape from its own exhaust, you know, that the, the externality, the externality is there. And, and I had suspected I guess I had hoped. I read a lot of, you know, Norbert Wiener about cybernetics and cybernetic theory and all. And I was kind of hoping that digital technology, because it was cybernetic, because it's all cycles, it's all circles, that it would kind of hoist us on our own petard in the West. You know, that that in the end, that as we pushed, 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 pushed in that one direction, we developed this technology that's circular, that feeds back. And in some ways, we are seeing that in the kinds of things that are feeding back or coming back through cybernetic systems, through whether it's digital media or digital tech, that, you know, maybe, just maybe, although uh, that's a very, uh, very optimistic notion, but maybe we have, we have, they have accidentally reintroduced circularity into their systems. You know, the closed loops kind of came back. And the idea of stealing from the past, I mean, these systems, uh, uh, you know, my friend Mark Stallman always talks about that the, the main quality of the digital age is memory. You know, that television was about hallucination, but everything digital is built on memory. So the past is coming back. The spirits of the past come back to haunt us. But I feel like that may be happening on a bigger scale to Western culture, that the kinds of things you're talking about are the theft and the open loops are coming back. We can enslave people for 200 years or 300 years and not have it come back eventually, you know, and, and here it is. It's the comeuppance. I'm hoping anyway, and not in a terrible, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, at least truth and reconciliation, as, as Mandela might put it, you know, it's like, okay, uh, hold on a minute. What did you do? What? You know, just yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, like, I really like the idea of debt jubilees. Yeah. But um, I, I think a debt jubilee is the most unnatural thing. <laughs> Even though, you know, it's probably the only thing that could kickstart this this global system and make it work for for a few more decades but look it's an unnatural thing the universe doesn't do debt jubilees that, that's a really bad loan shark he's not just going to break your legs he's going to burn down your house you know the universe doesn't do debt forgiveness there's no amnesty in nature <laughs> You can't just you can't just click delete and get rid of a few zeros. <laughs> well, right, but the billionaires know this. 
This is why the guys, the yeah. guys at Davos uh. are talking about the Great Reset. You know, they want to change the world and fix everything. But the yeah. real thing, they're not really looking to fix the world so much as to get away with what happened. You know? Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I I, I did look for a while at that um, uh, Imperative Twenty One. Yeah, which was sort of funded by the Ford Foundation and all that kind of thing. I haven't heard anyone talking about it. And I keep raising it. People go, yeah, yeah, heard anyone. And it's like, hey, have a look at it. Um, you know, so they're talking about stakeholder capitalism. Mm-hmm. They're talking about rebooting capitalism, you know, uh, in a way that sort of will feel but make people feel better about capitalism. Like, you know, uh, no, it's going to be really fair and it's going to be really green and all this sort of stuff. It's going to be basically business as usual. We're still going to have land as capital, and that'll be most of the capital in the world, and then we're going to keep leveraging that into infinity. Um, but, hey, you know, we're going, to, we're going to really make sure that black people are equal uh, while we're doing it and that the environment is going to be a priority and everything will be fine because that's all stakeholders. So it's like capitalism 2.0, you know, with feels. And um, <laughs> anyway, right. it, it really made me laugh. It is strange. And when you describe it like that, it's like, all right, who's doing the witchcraft voodoo stuff? It's not the indigenous. The indigenous yeah. people are on the fucking ground in reality. And these guys, they're yeah. like you say, they take the ground with the land, which is real. And then they lever- they, the land becomes property. The property becomes a mortgage. The mortgage becomes a debt instrument and a derivative and a credit That's default it. swap and a, and an ultra-fast trading algorithm, and it becomes more and more and more abstracted until the abstraction owns the land, and the abstraction is, as as clearly as you could ever define it, the abstraction is the, the demon, the, the, the conjured yeah. demon that now controls the reality in which we live, and they call us the weird new age superstitious Ooh. people. <laughs> Demon. Well, let's talk about Maxwell's demon. Where that, that physicist, he, he imagined this like a little box uh, full of particles, you know, gas or something, you know, in a vacuum, so you can have the second law of thermodynamics, all that. And he imagined this little demon, this little entity inside the box, who's basically just sorting particles with a partition into a hot and cold, and sort of separating them. And because of the, you know, it, it will try and get back to e- equilibrium. That, that that force he's using that to do work for him to produce energy, you know. But the, the amount of energy that he has to put into doing the work, it just ends up cancelling out the energy that he gets out for doing the work. So, you know, I, this isn't the question that they ask, but my question is what is that demon working for at all? Why doesn't he just sit in the box and just chill? <laughs> because... You know, if your inputs equal your outputs or like, you know, or as we're finding now in this society, our outputs are exceeding what's what our inputs are, what's coming in. You know, what is the point of moving particles around? Uh, Just sit in the box for a minute, have a think and think, hang on, what am I doing in this goddamn box? (laughs) Who the put me in this box I could get out of this box and find that fella and smash him. That, that's what you've got to think. Um, and then I guess you've got to go and find the other demons. Hey. Well, what does the genie do in all those stories when you let the genie out of the bottle? They're not nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, like in Aladdin, you know, the, the cartoon, he, he gets, you know, unlimited cosmic power, but itty-bitty li- living space. Kind of thing. 
you know, the, the universe imposes its limits. It's like, yeah, you're the most powerful being in the universe, but here's these uh, manacles that you got. Yeah. Um, well, they used it up. Because you know, I, I guess in the end, yeah, there is natural law that gives people limits. It's just, a, I don't know, my problem as a short-lived being is um, is that it takes a long time. It takes a thousand years um, for, for nature to, um, to show a civilization its limits hmm. and to end it you know, when it goes the wrong way. It's like a thousand years. So you've got to have this civilization just eating stuff up for a thousand years until it reaches its natural limits. And, and so that's when natural law or the law of the land will, will, will slap it down again. And that's a blink. That's a blink of the eye to land. But I, I don't want them to, 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 I don't want nature to have created something in us or, or I would hate to think that humanity could actually this time or that this civilization could up so bad that there can't be people anymore. Look, you know what? I think we need we need to get back to your your grieving process here because you recently lost some friends. Mm. You've recent, recently lost some friends to certainty, like that the YouTube algorithm is. Um, it's a bit like you know if you had a friend who got kicked in the head by the by a horse and and you know, now they just sit in their bed and someone has to feed them. Like they're still alive, but you know, you're grieving them still, but not in a final way because they're still walking around a little bit and performing basic functions, but they've, they've been basically lobotomized by their algorithm and you're, um, you're, you're grieving them was the impression I got. Is that, am I wrong? No, I guess I am. I am. And, and I, ironically, they're simultaneously grieving me. Hmm. Because they think that I'm I'm lost that I'm like in somehow trusting either trusting institutions or not suspicious enough or you know not tearing down the COVID tower or doing whatever it is I should be mm. doing according to you know whatever they believe or that I'm going to let them inject mm. me with COVID you know or whatever when the vaccine comes out because you haven't given in to certainty yet you're still able to reflect and ask yourself wow am i doing that right uh, could they be are they right am i you know you're still able to do that so one of you is still listening and and i guess i guess that's the difference which is why you, you're giving us monkeys re, monkeys reruns uh, on team human <laughs> instead oh, of you that was one of my favorite conversations was the monkeys reruns i love those guys and that was that was really uh uh informative for me too to know that my perception of what was happening there my as a, as a little five-year-old mm. that's what was happening there <laughs> that, it was it's great it it's it was it's very rare that you meet one of your you know childhood heroes and don't get disillusioned i i enjoyed that i enjoyed that immensely no and i'm not i'm not giving up i'm I, yeah i'm warning those friends i'm warning a couple of friends who've who've died this year a terrific healer named mark Filippi was a team human guest he passed away you know, secure in his belief that, and maybe he's right, that the cancer treatments that were on offer would have been worse for him than the cancer. Uh, so he he passed. And so, yeah, there's been a lot. But no, I'm really looking at, uh, uh, and partly it's because of so many layers of lockdown that I'm living with now between, you know, the last, the, the presidency and the environment and COVID and internet people. And I feel like I've got mm. another you know another good chapter in my career and i'm looking at how how to play that one out you know and 
you know, when you get to this, this stage of life, there's a lot of different kinds of things tugging on you, you know, and I've done a bunch of them and, and I'm, I'm starting to feel much more uh, like really about trying to live in scale rather than, um, you know, at the mercy of this kind of global scale. I'm no, I'm no media empire, you know, I'm no, I'm no mm. Joe Rogan or whatever, but I am living at scale in a certain way and I kind of want to pull it in. It's, it's a little bit, I feel like I am stealing from past energy. You know what I mean? I'm living outside my right. the means of my own sort of pranic reserves are, are, mm. are tapped. So I want to, I want to kind of pull it in, but I'm also looking, having, seen the folly of people who want to change the world with big ideas. I want to make sure I don't fall into that trap, you know, and and sort of uh, uh, retrieve a whole lot of humility, take smaller steps and smaller bites, you know, as I move. See, the, the worst thing is that I, I wrote the book before I knew you existed. Like I only found your I found your podcast and your books after I'd already um, published mine mm. in Australia here. And then I started reading and thinking, oh, God damn it, I would have written a completely different book if, I, <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known this before. You know, and so now I'm kind of cannibalizing all your energy and, um, and sort of, you know, using that as provocations to build up, you know, new lines of inquiry and thought and things like that. And I'm using yours too, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah. But, and so there's feedback loops happening because there are people like, and I remember you saying this when people were going, Oh my God, Dougie, they've stolen your ideas. Yeah. And you were like, no, 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 that's not how that works. You know, yeah. These things go around. It's really good to see that. And then that's feeding back in and, and then I'm getting more ideas and then that's going around and, and that's all how it works. That's how team human is, you know, and I guess you're just, you're just living that. And I, I guess maybe you've just reached that point where you've got to decide, like you're at the stage where there's enough people listening to you that it's like, well, now do I scale? Do I rogan this up now or um or step back? And maybe you've been sitting in that halfway place for a long time. My ears pricked up at the start when you said that you were stuck. As long as you're stuck and you're you're you know, not quite, you know, committing to something, but not quite giving it up. Anyway, so when you said it, I thought, hey, he's there too. Yeah, and not being able to admit that is you know, why so many people proceed blindly, you know? <laughs> And crazily mm. into whatever they're doing, yeah. you know, they leap head first. And I think it's fine. I don't, you know, stuck is in, in a way it's a right word in a way it's, in a way it's the wrong word because it's, um, I don't think we're stuck. I think it's okay to, to take a moment and to pause a moment, mm. you know, and, and I guess the stuck, the stuckness has to do with, I want to make sure I've got, um, some regenerative closed loops as I, continue mm. well i that's my my woman asked me the same thing this morning so what are you going to do to get unstuck and i said well I, i'm just going to keep waiting mm. you know, waiting is a valid valid action and valid behavior oh yeah it's active 90 percent of the time it's the best best reaction you can have is um you know my old people just in my ear all the time yipaka yipaka kupa kupa like you just wait slow down stop wait observe and then um you know, and you'll know. Yeah. That's good. Well, <laughs> it's good to have you on this journey. Even though I can't tag you and make you it, I can, I can, I can make you they. 
or we? Well, it's. I think it's a, just a slower process in our way. Yeah. Like that. That might might take a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you've got to see what you're going to take with you. You know, there's all. Yeah. Jim, Jim Rutt always says, like, you know, growth has to happen into the micro rather than the macro. Mm. You, you're just making increasingly beautiful and intricate uh, work on that one thing rather than producing a thousand units. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess you're you're going to end up growing into the micro. And the stuff you'll do is beautiful. And you'll be able to actually spend some time on, on a book. That's the thing. Yeah, putting everything aside to sit and actually yeah. think about something and not churn it out like yet one more, you know, cultural product. To be continued. Yeah, to be continued. It's great to speak with you. You're, you're just, yeah, you're just moving to another stage. And, and that's good. Thanks for being on Team Human. Our guest today was Indigenous scholar and member of the Appalach clan, Tyson Yunkaporta. You can find out more about Tyson by reading his book, Sand Talk, or checking out the links at teamhuman.fm, where you can also become a supporting member of the team. Until next week, I'll see some of you in the Discord and the rest of you in those liminal spaces. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. <laughs>